Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for February 1st, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, we're awakening from our adequately informed slumber to do what we do best, which is talk and pat ourselves on the back. Nah, just kidding. What we're going to try to do is have a bit of a discussion today, you know, big change of pace, talk about some issues and topics, consider information from a variety of viewpoints, uh, doing the best to keep ourselves and each other adequately informed. I will say I am not adverse to backpats. I like backpats. Um, <laughs> but we are we are only human. We know we don't know everything. We try to consider other points of view and not just like snide at them. But we like those viewpoints at good faith. We don't we don't like bad faith. We don't like to operate in bad faith and we don't like bad faith actors. So that's why we don't talk about a whole lot of Ben Shapiro takes. But anyway, and we're not on an ivory tower. I have to say the thing. Um, <laughs> so Evan, what are we're we're not doing a a a two book reports and a joint discussion episode. We're we're doing a a a a full one book report joint discussion episode. <laughs> and what's it about? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to revisit our discussion that we had earlier about uh, the book The New Geography of Jobs, as written by the economist Enrico Moretti. And essentially, The New Geography of Jobs is about the way that the labor market is shifting towards super clusters of highly skilled, highly educated workers in certain fields and the implications that this has for the rest of the job market. Yeah. And why are we talking about this? And it's totally me because I have, in the last four months, I moved back to my hometown, Galesburg, Illinois. And I also, just this week, finally got a job in town um, so that's been good. So I've been doing lots of thinking about, you know, in town and then I dragged Evan along for this ride. So, um, yeah, it's just Galesburg, for those who don't know, is a relatively small town in the Midwest. I mean, they like to call themselves the city of Galesburg. I mean, around 30,000 people live here. Which some people will say, oh, that's not too bad. And that's all my friends from suburbs who live in clusters of 30,000 people surrounded by other clusters of 30,000 people. And it's not the same, damn it. But, um, and this is a town that has fallen or followed a very similar trajectory to so many other towns that. I don't know, has been talked about in politics for the last, I mean, really since NAFTA, since that happened. I mean, for anyone who's not familiar yet, Galesburg is so much a benchmark for the decline of the American small town that Obama would reference it by name on multiple occasions in speeches about the decline of the American small town. I mean, there's a 
he, he talks about it in the audacity of hope, his book. Like there's a section in there about him going to Galesburg and talking to people. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a small section, albeit, but yeah, Galesburg is like the benchmark uh, for towns that had industry that, you know, basically dried up after uh, NAFTA. I mean, hell, every like, I don't know, couple years, there's a story in the New York Times that talks about Galesburg. <laughs> like, and, and nobody in town ever acknowledges it because nobody in town really reads the New York Times. And then it and then it's never good. So there isn't like positive buzz. It's not like the food reviewer came and was like, oh, me, the New York Times food reviewer, think Galesburg is pretty swell. You should go see it. <laughs> go to Judy's. Go to Judy's. You know, I need to go to PZ's. That seems to be like the the zeitgeist of the local eatery. But I mean, I think it's also because they're one of the few places that do, has done indoor seating the entire time throughout the pandemic, regardless. So I, think, I haven't even heard of them. So, yeah, they're on the south side of town on Grand Avenue. Um, OK, but anyway, I'm moving my microphone closer to my face. Um, so what? I, I want to explore why the new geography of jobs is like new and why things haven't always been like that. And people want to talk about why, you know, the the coming age of technology and why all those things are important. But there is also been like, at least from my understanding, a shift in how the world works that leads it to leaving smaller towns who are isolated behind. Now, there, I first thing is I want to explore why these towns had economic boons in the first place. And the main reason of that is cheap labor, a supply of cheap labor. Um, you see, it, it, it seems to track throughout, uh, you know, the history of industrialization since the industrial revolution is that an area will be you know deindustrialized or unindustrialized then um an industrialist comes along as like hey this area seems to have whatever resource it could have i mean back in the old days it was like having a river or stream to get power from or you know what have you but, you know, once we reach the age of having, you know, the fossil fuels that could go anywhere, you know, factories could be anywhere. So, like, if I think about in Illinois where factories would have been, you know, there was a time when they were in, like, downtown Chicago because that's where there was big pools of, you know, relatively cheap labor. And then after that, the uh, the factories moved to the suburbs because that's where the pool of relatively cheap labor was. And then they and then, you know, because of the racial politics of the time, they went from mainly employing white people to mainly employing black people because that was a short source of cheap labor at the time. And then these factories ended up picking up and moving out into the more rural areas because those were areas of untapped 
relatively cheap labor with the story being that these jobs brought wealth to their communities brought a higher standard of living and eventually driving up the wages of the workers there to be that you know moving somewhere else where wages were cheaper um meant that you know it was a worthwhile bargain so that was working out for small town america in the united states for a good long time and then nafta came along and you know some some economists will argue whether this was truly due to nafta or just the changing world but a whole lot of factories picked up and left and went to mexico um, that was certainly a common story that was here because the Maytag plant, which which was like one of the largest employers in town and the greatest source of good earning middle class jobs, picked up and left and went to Mexico. Um, I'll never forget. It was my um, either my kindergarten or my first grade teacher whose husband worked for Maytag. And the year after I had her. She wasn't at the school anymore because they had to move to Brownsburg, Texas to keep his job at the Maytag factory across the border in Mexico. Yep. Yeah. So in the history of industrialization has been this somewhat constant moving of industrial capacity throughout the world to sources of cheaper labor because labor is often the most or one of the more expensive parts of a uh you know a, a manufactured good and you know that's why china became this huge manufacturing hub because you know they had a billion people that were essentially in poverty you know really cheap workforce and now that and now they're you know they have some money, but even in China, some of the labor is getting to the point where it's a little bit more expensive. So it's going to even other countries that were less developed and sometimes down to Africa, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a you know, a race to the bottom. And, it, you know, if you're already manufacturing something across the ocean from the United States where you intend to sell it, you know, what does it matter if it's manufactured in China or you know Laos, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean the 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 rest of the costs end up being about the same of shipping and all that kind of stuff. So it's really manufacturing has always been this like do the benefits of cheaper labor cheap cheap unskilled labor outweigh the benefits of more expensive skilled labor. Yeah, and that's kind of, I think, the the key division here is especially when we think about the new geography of jobs, is that the reason why all of this labor could be diffuse across the country initially was because it was unskilled. You know, you didn't have to find the right workforce. The cheapest workforce would do, and then you could train them to work in the factory or do whatever you needed to do. Right. But now, with that manufacturing leaking out to other countries with lower labor standards, lower wage requirements, what have you, many of the jobs that remain in the United States are highly skilled. Mm -hmm. It's the people who design the apps, design the technology that remain in the United States, and then those are subject to the clustering effects that Moretti describes. Yeah. But I also want to get into another part of it. So there's a lot of talk in the new geography of jobs 
I, I guess a book that I haven't read, but I've heard about enough that I feel like I could speak <laughs> confidently on it is that, you know, these clusters of, I mean, I, I, I'll normally just call them brains. Um, it, it's the idea of clusters of smart people essentially who can get together and do things that they otherwise wouldn't have. But due to other innovations of, society or in the times before the innovations that I'm about to describe, small towns could also be a small cluster that contained more brains than they do now, at least from how I, this conception that I'm working through now, I could be wholly disproven and I could be wrong because I haven't done a ton of research on this, but at least here's the logic that I follow is that it used to be that in a any town, if you were to have some sort of business or service, that you would essentially have to be the one who created it from the ground up. Um, so, like, if you had an insurance agency, you you were the insurance agency. Like, there had to be some guy in town who ran the thing. You know, if you had a small bookstore in town. You know, there there were people there who had to make the whole thing happen. There was, you know, if you had a restaurant, you know, if you were the owner, there there were people from, you know, who managed it from the top who were wholly invested and got to have the, um, you know, the benefits of having that town. There were there were brains that had to be there, and there was opportunity to be had, but at least as the way I see it is that now through, I don't know, kind of the franchise, the national chains model, you know, people will make this argument with, you know, like Walmart coming town to town is that these institutions like national banks or, uh, you know, national insurance agencies or national food brands are able to come into these towns and the there's a level of management and brain power that has to exist with the restaurant or the business, but doesn't have to exist locally um, like it would have in previous times without the franchisement. I mean, if you if you talk about a business, this is essentially overhead, you know, the the level of business that is above just the individual unit. Um, yeah, to bring in some intertextuality, this is what uh, Daniel Markovitz would describe as the hollowing out of the labor market. With you know increasing technology, technological capacity, you can have sort of a centralized group in New York or Washington or San Francisco make decisions that affect franchises everywhere else. So there's not mid-management left at the individual plants or firms, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. there's just the low skill workers. Right. Like, so I have insurance for my car and house through Geico. I never once met with a single person to set up either one of those insurances. And I don't know, like if I went to go and see a Geico agent here in town, I don't know if there is one. And even if there is one, you know, it can really just be, you know, just some guy like 
Uh, well, everyone's just some guy. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but but this is more on like the uh, we're we're relying not so much on the guy part and just just some and then in parentheses one guy um, singular guy where you know they don't need to have I don't know the actuaries here in town. That that's not part of it. They don't have any of the middle management, the upper management, anything, any of the the jobs that really drive. Or I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say that they drive economic growth, but they create that upward spiral that is talked about in the new geography of jobs, where people, the brains, as I like to call it, are congregated, and you know when you have enough brains together, they can tend to do other things but because there is no longer an opportunity for the brains to go have these jobs that are necessary in a community but not present they are present just through a means where um the only people who are there are the the furthest down on the ladder like like i think about like tax prep you know you just have you know uh you know, you just have the CNAs. You don't have any of the, you know, any of the bigwigs around who are able to re, you know, and those benefits aren't, you know, of having bigwigs around isn't going into it. You know, it's, it's also like a reason why race to the bottom exists where everyone's just trying to attract the wealthy people. And, and, uh, you know, we don't, because of the way the economy can operate now, is that there is no reason to have any of the brains diffused, essentially. And that contributes to what is called brain drain, which is when an area has this problem where people who have smarts or you know skills or whatever just don't come there. Whether it be, you know, people don't want to move there or also, more importantly, the people who exist in the community who have the skills end up moving away because they Yeah, that was what I was thinking. Yeah. More that people don't want to move back. They go yeah. away for college or other training and then they don't return to those communities. Yeah. And small town America has brain drain pretty badly. Um, and you know, especially, I mean, I don't know if especially, but I know of it in Galesburg because out of my high school class, or I guess Evan and I's high school class, not to be exclusionary, um, Thank you. out of all the, you know, there was like how many people, like maybe 250 we're in our graduating uh, class. I think our graduating class was 325. That's oh. the number I remember. Okay. So, yeah. so let's say. It was, it was kind of big. Yeah. Yeah. Relatively big. So 325 was our class. And out of all the people who I know who left town to go to college and ended up finishing college with a degree out of that whole class, I can really think of me personally know of like three people and the other two people that I know of 
seem to have moved back because they didn't really have a plan after college. So out, out of all the people, I'm like the only one who has chosen to come back. Um, there is a serious brain drain going on. Like there were a lot of talented people that this community produced and they've all taken those talents elsewhere. And I even took my talents elsewhere for a period of time until I decided to move back. And this is a problem for the community because basically anyone who has a job of worth is like old now <laughs> um, because a new crop has never come in because there weren't the opportunities because the old people had the opportunities and they didn't have new opportunities to move into. So it's just, uh, it's just kind of a stagnation and it's a real problem, but here's, here's the real, here, here, here's where we go with it. What do we do now? Bum, bum, bum. What do we do now? This yeah. has kind of been your whole, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this has been your whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there's, there's more conversation about it that I want to have than other than what Evan you think I'm going to directly talk about, but you know, if you look back at other areas that have, you know, were initially industrialized and saw that industry leave, you know, I think back, to, I, I think to a, like a lot of cities like on the East coast out there who had industry long, long ago, like it's been a real, real long time since they've had industry. And, you know, what did they do? Or like England, you know, it's like, what do you do? And it just ends up being that on some capacity, you end up taking your area and either you're able to find some new thing that, you know, becomes your niche, like some new perversion, uh, I mean, I say perversion, some new angle in the economy that makes things work. Um, so like I think of Kenosha where I lived, where Kenosha used to be a manufacturing industrial town and then the manufacturing and industry left. But thanks to Kenosha's um, near proximity to both Milwaukee and the Chicagoland area, they have been become a hub for uh, warehouses that can service both areas at the same time. So they're, they're someone where the new economy has found a benefit based on, you know, where they, where they are. But it seems to be that other places end up creating tourism essentially, um, where they, they're, they make some sacrifices to the local culture commodify it, clean it up and try and turn it into a place where, you know, people will pleasantly want to be and spend their time there instead of, you know, the gritty or more gritty, like working class area that it used to be, you know, it's kind of like the sellout option. Um, you know, you know, this used to be a tough neighborhood and now they're selling, designer donuts on the corner or some shit like that. <laughs> but that's one method. But 
Well, at least the idea that I have is what if there was a way to stop the brain drain? Um, because the brain drain is bad. I mean, you want, you want to have people of, of, uh, who have abilities and talents that are above, you know, the norm to, you know, stay in your community because they can end up going on to create things. So the idea is what if a locale, let's say Galesburg, huh? Crazy that I picked there. Um, <laughs> were to create a, let's say scholarship slash grant program where anyone from the community who graduates from, you know, Galesburg high school with, you know, whatever conditions. So people don't just move here and have their kid compete, complete the last grade and get the benefits of this, that, you know, if they graduate and they go off to college and they move back, a foundation, a local foundation will pay off their college as an investment in people for this community and also giving an incentive for people, you know, for young kids who go and get college educations to actually come back to town and then also have the added benefit of being unburdened by their debt. So that's my idea. So you would like go to college, the quote community would pay for your college education, wherever you end up going, or it could even be like a specialized trade that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be college. And then when you come back, then if you live in the community for however long, 15 or 20 years and pay taxes in the, you know, in the town, then you can have your college just be paid for and not have, you know, the, the burdens that normally come along with it. And, you know, a lot of people, don't move back to their hometowns because college is expensive and they need to get a job that actually pays well and not just pays well relatively and in order to pay off their college education. So that's, that's my, my shtick. So before we get into the plan, I think it's worth noting that there are other city centered educational initiatives that have already been tried. The two that I'm thinking of, are the Gale Scholars Program and the Galesburg Promise. And they, they both serve different functions, but ultimately they're more f- focused on paying for college if you go to college within Galesburg, and then they don't care what you do after that. Yeah. So, um, I, I, Joe, I really, I'm, I'm trying to push you to do some like primary <laughs> research on this and like find out like, have have those programs been successful? Um, Gale Scholars, I feel like, has a very low completion rate because, as I understand it, they have pretty stringent requirements that really aren't very realistic. And then the Galesburg Promise is brand new. I mean, that wasn't even a thing. Back well, and I, when well, we and were I think it's gone now. I think it's been. I I think it, it its run has ended. Oh um, really? Yeah. Well, and then also I think 
I mean, I could go to these, but I have a feeling that their definition of success is different than what my definition of success is. Well, you as the researcher could pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because both of those felt like philanthropic endeavors as opposed to an economic measure a community could take to ensure its future. Gale scholars, sure. I really don't know what the, the motivation was behind the Galesburg promise. I mean, the, yeah, I, I don't know what it was either. I mean, it kind of came from that period of time where, um, like, that was, like, after Barack Obama made it one of his, you know, pledges to make community college free. And then all of a sudden, Carl Sandburg College was like, hey, we found a way to make, confu- <laughs> you know, community <laughs> college free for locals. Um, you know, maybe they thought that it would have some of these effects. And, you know, maybe I do need to do the primary research on this to go and ask the people like, hey, what was uh, what was the idea on this? Um, were you just trying to help people go to college or were you like trying to create some, you know, more skilled people in, you know, the society, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the community? Um, because, you know, that'd be different, you know, it, um, but because, you know, education is good and having educated people around, not to say that education is the end all be all, but just generally, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and because of all the things that we mentioned before. Okay. So on, onto Joe's program, here's where I'm a little skeptical that it would meaningfully create the economic rejuvenation. Moretti in his book talks about ways that cities can attempt to start a new cluster for whatever their thing is. Typically tech, that's the hot thing mm-hmm. right now. Not that Galesburg necessarily have to become a tech cluster, but that seems to be where the the real growth opportunity is. I'm not sure that just bringing back college-educated people is targeted enough to create this type of rejuvenation. I think maybe maybe your best bet would would be to say, we want Galesburg to become a tech hub. We want to design apps here. We want to we want to be able to control a part of that market. So then you say, you know, people from this community who go off and get specific degrees can be a part of this. Maybe if it was targeted Mm -hmm. based on what you study, that would be more directed. But let's say even someone goes and gets a degree in biology or, you know, even a hard science like that, but that isn't going to be conducive to starting a, a high growth industry cluster then you might be a little bit screwed. Or even if if the scale is wrong, if even a couple of people who studied computer science come back, but you know, they, they're not really of much entrepreneurial spirit, or you know, they just don't have the the volume of people needed right. to start a real new company, then I think that you you'd find that it would end up not working so well either. So I, I guess that's the thing is that you would have to make it work pretty intricately and even then you're still hoping that someone who you're betting on comes up with the next big idea or even a 
great idea that really is able to form a foothold into this market that attracts then others from outside of the community. Because that's, that's I think, the other thing, now that I'm talking it out, is that it's not going to be enough just to keep all the smart people in. Eventually, you're going to have to lure in smart people from somewhere else. Yeah. And that, the, the steps to get there are just gargantuan, it appears to me. Well, yeah. I mean, first, I would maybe point that maybe... You know, I don't know if directly the goal would be to necessarily create like the next hub. Like, I I don't know if necessarily thrive needs to be the goal, but at least like stymie the decline. Um, so I guess here's here's where I'm coming from is Moretti would argue that there really is no way to stymie the decline without becoming a hub. So how does having just more generally people who got a college degree or some kind of training you know whatever the program would be geared toward just floating in the normal galesburg economy how does that help under my conception of it is that if you have just a stock of more educated people they engage in they better engage in whatever work that they do or work that they don't have where there is a greater chance of people liking more likely to strike out and do their own thing and create more opportunities. Um, but then also that having educated young people creates a, a better, a, a culture that is more amenable to people moving there. Like I remember, um, I talked with a guy who started a business here and he had come from outside to and ended up settling on Galesburg of where he wanted to start this business. And he was thinking he was going to start up a like a tech business and, you know, was going to try and pull people from Silicon Valley like out to work here. And, you know, even if he had the funding, even if he had the capital, he just couldn't get anybody to come out here because, you know. It, it makes sense when someone has, is an high opportunity person who is also a transplant. Su- surprisingly, they like to have lots of things to do <laughs> when they're uh, wherever they move and, mm-hmm. you know, very value the culture of the thing. I mean, this is one thing that like, you know, the Champaign-Urbana area has really going for it is that one, they have the university, which you know, the University of Illinois, which is a very big deal, but the universities are huge local economic engines. And, but not only that is that, I mean, I don't know how recent it is, but at least the culture of the area, like, you know, there's a thriving bar scene downtown with multiple, you know, really quality breweries. And, and that comes about from, people choosing to stick in the area and people of means or not even means, but you know, who at least have the ideas sticking around and trying to make something of it. Like hell, my favorite beer brand comes from a brewery in Urbana and it was made by two brothers who grew up in Urbana, went to the university (laughs) of Illinois and came back and made this beer company. And it's like really good. And it adds to, the locale very well you know it adds to like 
the scene. I mean, I don't think anybody is necessarily moving to Champaign or Urbana because of Riggs beer, but you know, it adds to the overall ambiance of it, you know? So go ahead. If you want to finish your, I mean, just the kind of idea is that maybe, you know, you know, and I've talked to other people who seem to have do business here. It's just that like they're, isn't a dearth of business to be done it's just there's kind of a dearth of quality people so maybe by having more quality people around you know we can attract other more quality people and have a uh you know at least a somewhat positive feedback loop in that realm okay so i want to pull that apart later this this dearth of quality people makes it so that we can't operate at full capacity that's interesting i want to i want to get to that but first i want to say that uh kind of in response to this general theme of if you build it they will come type of idea um i defer to moretti who doesn't believe that that's really possible obviously it's nice to have those things in a town and that is something that motivates people to move there but those things follow a lot of people you know the Riggs guys probably knew that they could start their brewery there because there would be a large customer base because there was already a lot of people living there and the people living there were living there because they were able to have jobs at the university or in support industries or what have you and so um just kind of trying to and and Moretti explicitly talks about this in his book just trying to make sort of a nice place to live and hoping that businesses will come, really, there's not a... So, um... <laughs> Take three. You, you, have, you have the first two takes on my local recording track. What do I need to get you caught up so that you can just respond to what I've been saying? Um, so, it got to, like, wouldn't necessarily create the conditions... I think you were getting into the, like the chicken and the egg problem, or at least that was going to be my response. Um, well, I think what, what Moretti kind of would say is that it, it it's not a chicken and the egg. We know that the good culture follows the jobs. And so, you know, the, the good culture does not create the conditions that make people want to come to start the jobs. And he gives all these case studies where basically – the reason why Seattle is Seattle is because Bill Gates and his buddy were from Seattle and they knew that they could be productive anywhere. So they said, let's do it in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So they liked the area. So, I mean, I guess, but, but that's well, no different than buying a lottery ticket. Well, right. But then, yeah, they also like they grew up in the Seattle area. Um, yeah. So that's at least part of it. Like, would the Galesburg scholarship definitely create the conditions for like a, uh, you know, boom for the area? The answer is, I don't know. And would probably have to do with luck and all that kind of stuff. But would it create a better society than just letting the courses run on its own? I would say it probably would by having people in the community who are, you know, even if it just ends up being that 
you know, the local people become more engaged in the community and push it to, you know, have a better organized local government or, you know, school system or, you know, have more brains working on the issues of the locale than there otherwise would have been. And that can be of a benefit to to the community. And then also, you know, whatever benefits can be derived from, you know, their other work as well. Um, It's certainly better than nothing. And then also helps, you know, obtain, you know, opportunity for, you know, the, the people of the community um, that they otherwise wouldn't have access to now, whether, I guess there could be an argument whether uh, sending someone to college to bring them back here where there isn't a ton of opportunity is really giving them opportunity. But I, I just believe that it, it seems to be that uh, the community would better be better served by being able to at least retain the, you know, the good brains that it produces and would be worthwhile and could have positive um, upward spirals that result from it. But that's not, again, that's not a hundred percent sure thing. Hello? Hey, yeah, I disconnected. I think it's a my computer problem, not a Zencaster problem. Um, Yeah. So it's something that I'm gonna look into uh, in this upcoming week. But anyway, what, what I guess I'm trying to say is what is the benefit in your mind of bringing people with advanced training to Galesburg? And, you know, let, let's say it's not about creating a tech hub or about economic revitalization, because I guess I'll fall on my sword here. I, you know, I left Galesburg. I've got college education. I feel like if I was just in Galesburg right now, I don't think I would make the town much better <laughs> you know like what, what what's your what's your sort of utopian vision or not even utopian i'm i'm, I'm trying to be very fair here like what, what what what's your rosy vision that you hope would happen i mean the the rosy idea is that you know if we were to have these talented people to come back is that you know if there isn't opportunity here for themselves to do it to do what they want to do that they would take be able to turn because of the uh geographic restriction of where they live as conditioned to getting a free education that they would be able and free to end up creating positive institutions for society whether it be i don't know a cool restaurant or like a new business that somehow figures out how to extract money from outside the area and bring it back into the new area where, or back into the locale where otherwise we just wouldn't have those people doing that. Um, or there, you know, it's just, I, I, there's a, a belief within myself that if you have people of education and of, you know, of knowledge and who are ambitious and you have them in an area that can lead to positive things. And then by having a community of people of 
uh, those age groups who are around together and have, um, you know, can create those like communities where people will work together or can bounce off ideas across each other that that can also be beneficial. Whereas, you know, it wouldn't be super beneficial to bring one person back to town to try and, you know, make them like the, I don't know, the George Bailey of town to like (laughs) single-handedly save every, you know, to save the town. But through creating that society or the social arena where there are people who are more exposed to culture, more exposed to education, being able to be in close proximity to each other and, you know, create that, you know, area where they can bounce ideas. Like I said, bounce ideas off of them and have positive returns to social engagement, then that could be good and could potentially lead to something than what is already happening. Okay. I mean, I think, I think you've made your, your position very clear. Um, I'm a bit more skeptical, but you know, I, I, we, we don't have empirics, so I don't, <laughs> I don't need to get vitriolic yeah. here. I'm just a bit more skeptical. That's really what it boils down yeah. to. Yeah. As the person who, who, who stayed away. Yeah. You are more skeptical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, uh, how, how, how deep to get on here. My brother moved back. He works at Joanne fabric. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, like, you know, it currently the way it ends up being is that the people who end up coming back for the most part are the people who had to come back for other reasons. Shit, man. Um, that's that's where I would be if I didn't get married. I mean, fuck, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the idea is to hopefully get the people into town who can move or, you know, are better able to move and shake and have things going on. So that's at least the proposition. All right. Fair enough. And who knows? It could be all a failure and may not work. And, you know, who knows? This probably won't ever happen, (laughs) but it's an idea at least. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's that on that portion of the podcast. What do you guys think? Do you think that uh, small towns can bootstrap? You know, what, what was uh, that? Oh, I was just saying, uh, asking the audience, what do they think? You know, can can small towns bootstrap their way through this program, through another program? What do you think? Let us know. Podcast at adequatelyinformed.com. <laughs> Yeah, you want to just cut it because of technical difficulties and then we'll say we'll come back the next time and do the listener questions. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, (laughs) this has been uh, been the most technologically challenging episode we've had, and I will try to get to the bottom of it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Internet happens. So anyway, um, we're cutting it short because of technical difficulties like to thank everybody for listening i'd like to thank anthony hitch for the music as always but uh my name's joe hicks and mine has been evan kelly and we hope that you've been adequately informed